0: Let us pray. Father, we believe that all Holy Scripture is written for our learning and so we ask now by your Spirit that we would so hear, read, mark, learn and inwardly digest this your Holy Word that we would be changed more and more to be like Jesus for the sake of the world. For we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to be seated. Are you being tested? Do you feel as if this season is a time of testing for you? Is the Lord putting you through a test? Well, that's good news. I hate being tested. I hated being tested in school. I was convinced, like many students are, wrongly, that my teachers were out to get me every time they were putting a test in front of me. I thought this was the most vindictive, evil thing teachers could do. Put a test in front of you and then just watch you fail and fumble. It kind of reminds me of that story, that probably untrue story, but helpful nonetheless, of the evil, wicked, university professor who is always giving exams that are far too long, never can be completed, just to punish and attack his students. And he'll always say to them, when the bell goes, when I say, put your pens down, you put your pens down. And if I see you move your pen for a second after that, you flunk the whole class. Well, one day he's giving this impossible exam and he says, time's up and every student puts their pen down except one student who just keeps writing at the back of the class. The professor looks at him laughs, says, <laughs> You just failed the course. Everyone's lining up, bring up. He keeps writing. He says, no, seriously, I don't know what you think you're doing. It's a waste of time. I've called time and you're writing. You flunked. He keeps writing, keeps writing. And so finally, all the folks have come up, handed their test papers in and he comes up at the very end, looks at the professor and the professor just mockingly says, you're an idiot. I told you any writing after the hour and after the moment, and you, you, you flunk the class. And the student says, that's okay. Do you know who I am? And the professor says, I have no idea. And the student says, that's great. Picks up the exam papers, sticks his in the middle, drops them, and walks out of class. <laughs> and I would hear that story and I think, oh, I want to do that to a teacher because that's what they're doing to us with these exams. But the truth is, for those of you who are teachers, that's not what an exam is, right? That's not what a test is. Any good teacher knows that we are testing our students in order to train them, to grow them, to pull out of them what they've learned. The testing is meant to be a growing experience. And so it is scripturally. When we look at the Bible, we see again and again that God puts us into moments of testing, not to hurt us, not to wound us, not to laugh at us, but to grow us more and more in the people he's calling us to be. That's why James in James chapter one says, countered all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials of various kinds for in the testing of your faith, it produces steadfastness. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And so when we look at seasons of testing in our lives, We can see that it's a good thing. We see that even in this very hard story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. If you turn there with me in your Bibles, Abraham is being tested in a way that no one could ever dream of being tested. He's being told to sacrifice his only son. But here's the amazing thing we find in this testing story. And they can encourage us in our own seasons of testing. Are you being tested? It's good news. Because God tests those he calls. Testing from the Lord is tied directly into the calling from the Lord. He has called you and therefore the test is related to that calling. But not only does he test those he calls, but he tests those he calls continually, continuously. The tests just keep coming. You think you've got over the final test and there's another test. It's for good Reasons He has more to do in you than you could ask or imagine. God tests those he calls and he tests those he calls continuously. And what is he testing us for? To grow us in confidence. In confidence in what? In ourselves? No, our confidence in him. The whole point of the test again and again is, will you have more confidence in me? Will you trust me? Will you grow in faith even in this moment? See, first we see that God tests those that he calls. Genesis 22, verse 1, Abraham responds to God's call. Abraham, with these words, here I am. And three times in this text, Abraham says, here I am. Now, have you heard those words before in scripture? It's kind of a code that's used throughout the biblical stories. Because we see it at some very key points in scripture. You see it here in Genesis 22. Here I am. You see it again in Exodus chapter three. Moses, God says, and then he says, Moses says, here I am. First Samuel three, the boy Samuel in the temple. Samuel, Samuel says, here I am. Isaiah, that vision in the throne room, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Here I am, Isaiah says. And my favorite of all, Acts chapter nine the day that that terrorist named Saul of Tarsus gets converted, God comes to a man named Ananias and says, Ananias. And he says, here I am. See, in every one of these moments, God is about to call that person to an amazing new task. It is a call moment. That phrase, here I am, is used scripturally again and again to describe moments of calling. God is calling us to someone, to something. He's calling Abraham to something. He's called him to something back in chapter 12, this incredible calling to be a blessing to the nations. And he's calling him again. See, at the end of this story, Abraham will have the call restated again in verse 17. God again will say after the test, you are going to be the one through whom the nations of the earth are blessed. This is a calling moment. And the reason that God puts those he calls to the test is in order to grow us, to strengthen us for the work that is before us. As a friend of mine likes to say, Satan tempts us to destroy us, God tests us to develop us. It's through testing that we grow. We become stronger. God wants those he calls to be more confident, more unflappable, more firm, more steadfast. And it is the testing that does that. I remember a number of years ago, after our second parish, we were called, we fell into a uh, ministry at a boys' school. It was actually a mixed gender, but it had been a boys' school. Then it was in, now boys and girls boarding school in Ottawa. And it was an Anglican Episcopal boarding school and I was gonna be the chaplain. And the truth was I was going there to escape all the political battles going on in the Episcopal church. I was like, I'm tired of the battles over this. I'll just go be a chaplain at a school. And it should have been the best job ever because I only had half an hour of work every morning with chapel. I had made much more money in that role than I would ever make anywhere else. And I had nothing to do in the afternoons. I mean, I should have been so happy, but the first day I got dragged into the headmaster's office. And I said, what happened? He goes, you talked about Jesus in chapel today. I said, I'm an Anglican chaplain. This is an Anglican chapel. He said, well, we don't talk about Jesus in our chapel. I said, oh. Why is that? And he said, well, we have students of other religions. And I said, oh, you have Muslims and Jews in your school? Yes. I said, well, that's great. So the next day I went in, I said, let's talk about Jesus in relation to all the Abrahamic faiths, right? Right. And we talked all about that. And then I got dragged into the headmaster's office that day as well. He said, no, 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 you didn't understand. You can't talk about God in chapel. I said, I can't talk about God in chapel. He said, no, we don't do that here. I said, I thought it's a Christian school. He goes, not that kind of Christian. I said, there's not another kind. And we went back and forth. Day after day, week after week, I got dragged into the headmaster's office. It felt like deja vu from high school. The point was... I continued to have to stand my ground. And the truth is, when I started out, I didn't really want to stand my ground. But what happened day after day, week after week? I got stronger, I got bolder, I got more defiant. I made it through nine months of that. And when I came out of it, lo and behold, I was thrown into a much bigger fight. Not some lowly headmaster of a, boarding school that I was fighting with faith about. No, I had to fight with a bishop of Ottawa who'd become a total apostate. Suddenly I'm a 28-year-old fighting with a fully grown bishop who's become totally apostate, and the only way I was able to do it was because of nine months of horrible hell-on-earth testing. It's like David when he's facing Goliath. And he looks over his own personal history, times that he's been put to trial and test. And he says to fearful King Saul, he says, I have survived lion and bear and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be just like one of those because he has defied the living God. See, it is these seasons of testing that grow us that strengthen us. We do not grow, unfortunately, in our happiest seasons. It seems to be a rule that we grow the most in our hardest seasons. And so the Lord tests those he calls. And he tests us continuously. It's interesting, verse one says, after these things, God spoke to Abraham. After these things, God then called him to take Isaac up Mount Moriah. And you want to say, well, after what things? After an entire life of being tested. Up to this point, Abraham has been again and again tested by the Lord. It started in chapter 12 and has gone all the way through, moment by moment, test by test. And specifically, the test has been this enormously ridiculous test to live through, this call that he will have a son. He's old, his wife is barren. It is frankly a laughable test. It is so impossible, it's laughable. And in chapter 21, just before this, when the promise is finally fulfilled, the boy is born, what do they call the child? They call him Isaac, which means laughter. You can hear it in the Hebrew, yitzik, laughter. Because the promise was laughable. And yet the promise was fulfilled. Abraham has spent his whole life with Sarah, being tested. The son has come. And chapter 22 begins, and after all these things, here's another test, and the hardest yet. See, friends, what this is showing us is that it's not as if we get through a season of testing and go, oh, thank the Lord, that's over, we're done, we can check the box. There will be more that comes. The Lord is continuing and continuously doing this work of transformation in us. Tests will follow tests, and greater tests may be yet what is coming for you. You know, my favorite prayer in confirmation, or in confirmation about a month from now, the bishop will lay his hands on these teenagers and on these adults. One of them will be my 14-year-old. And as the bishop lays hands and he prays for the Holy Spirit that they be strengthened It's really what we call the ordination of the laity. It's it's a go out now in mission. Take your faith and make it active in the world. But he prays, he says, and that you may be filled by the Holy Spirit more and more until you achieve fullness. More and more. That's the work of God. Every time you say, all right, Lord, I've I've had quite a bit. He says, more. You say, Lord, I've, I've had enough. He says, more because the call is nothing less than Christ-likeness. The call on our lives is nothing less than be conformed to the image of Christ. And it hurts, and the test will come again and again, but it is God's good work in you. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it this way in Mere Christianity. I'm gonna use the longer quote. I usually shorten the quote, but I'm gonna use the longer quote today. It's so descriptive of this work of transformation, this hard work of continual testing and transformation. Lewis says this, he says, "'Imagine turning a tin soldier into a real little man. It would involve turning the tin into flesh. And suppose the tin soldier did not like it. He's not interested in flesh. All he sees is that the tin is spoiling. He thinks you are killing him. He will do everything he can to prevent you. He will not be made into a man if he can help it. But the real son of God is at your side. He is beginning to turn you into the same kind of thing as himself. He is beginning, so to speak, to inject his kind of life and thought into you, beginning to turn the tin soldier into a live man. And the part of you that does not like it is the part that is still alive more and more it's the reason why there's no graduates of the Jesus school there's only students there's always more there's always another test you know as many of you know Monica my wife just a little over four weeks I think we passed the four week mark just yesterday fell broke her leg shattered it horrible, two surgeries, pain management, trying to work through all that. And then after, just as she's getting home from the hospital, many of you know I was writing these caring, I'm still writing these caring bridge journal updates to, you know how to pray. Well, what happened just as we arrived home? On top of it all, she got shingles, shingles, up in our arms, so painful, still struggling with the pain of shingles, recovering from surgery, now his shingles, then our washing machine broke, and then the insurance company denied our hail claim. All of this happened in like 24 hours. And I would find myself walking into the room and saying things to Monica, like, Well, you you know God hates you. <laughs> and I was joking. But the truth is. God has obviously something very, very special for you happening. God is intending so much for you and for your family if this is the kind of test in front of you. This is what God is doing in the testing. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. We with unveiled faces... Beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image as Himself from one degree of glory to the next. This is God's work in you, in Abraham, and in us today. God tests those He calls, and He tests us continually. But why does He do it? He does it so that we will grow in our confidence. Ultimately, what is the question behind the test? Will you be confident? Not in your circumstances, not in your own ability, but will you be confident in me? In the midst of yet another test, will you keep confident in me? Will you trust me even in this? That's the question again and again. I mean, isn't it a crazy, horrible, horrifying thing that God calls them to? Verse two, take your son, your only son, and take him up the mountain, and sacrifice him, kill him. And it's unthinkable within our world. You know the problem is, in Abraham's world, it wasn't unthinkable. Actually in Canaan, with all the pagan religions around him, this happened all the time. In fact, we're told that later in Israel's history, when King Josiah becomes the king of Israel and actually starts reforming some of the pagan terrible practices of Israel, He goes in and destroys these places where Israelites were burning their sons and daughters to Molech, the god Molech. He was the principal deity in the land of Canaan, and he asked for children to be killed all the time. This was the world that Abraham lived in. It was within his plausibility structures. Thank God it's not within ours. But here's how it is similar to ours is we have all kinds of competing ideologies and religions around us all the time telling us this is how you get ahead in the world, this is how the world works. Abraham is unwilling to allow those other religions and those other ideologies to define his relationship with his God. Let me say that again. Abraham is unwilling to let those other religions of Canaan and the other ideologies around him reshape his view of his God. No, listen to what he says in verse five he says, and it's, it's more clear in the Hebrew than the English. He says, I and the boy, he says to the servant, I and the boy will go up the mountain and I and the boy will come back. That's a statement of faith. That's Abraham saying, I don't know how this is gonna work, but I'm going up that mountain with my son and I'm coming down that mountain with my son. Verse eight, Isaac asks the same question. Father, the wood is here. I'm carrying the wood on my back. The knife and the fire are here. But where's the lamb for the sacrifice? What does Abraham say in verse eight? He says, God himself will provide a lamb. That's again, Abraham anticipating grace. He's saying, I know that my God is not Molech. I know that my God is not like these other competing religions and ideologies around me. My God is a God that has shown me grace, has shown me mercy, has shown me love, has shown me provision. I know that my God will provide. That's why he says God will provide, because he knows God to be the provider. Unearned So the question for you and I, friends, is do we, like Abraham, in the midst of testing, in the midst of horrible circumstances, do we, like the nations, look to our circumstances and say, well, that defines who my God is? Or do we, like Abraham, look to our God and through that relationship define our circumstances? My circumstances are horrible. My circumstances are falling apart. Does this mean that I've done something wrong? That I need to appease something? That there's something deeply fractured within me or the way that I'm making decisions? I need a different frame of reference or I need to go on a quest or do a journey? No. That's letting your circumstances define your God. Abraham says, I know my God and he will redefine my circumstances. This is not out of his control. God will provide. I and the boy will go up the mountain and I and the boy will come down. Now what this doesn't mean is that everything is gonna go beautifully and swimmingly and perfectly. Being tested by God is not a season where you say, well, I'm gonna be unharmed if it's a test from God. No, we may well be harmed, but we will not be abandoned. We will not be alone. God will be more than enough for us in each and every circumstance. That's why in Hebrews chapter 11, we're told, we're getting a window in Abraham's heart. We're told in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham, as he's going up the mountain, being tested, considered that God was able to raise the dead. In other words, he said, my son may die today, and yet I still believe that God will be enough and will provide, even in the resurrection. Now, God does show up, doesn't he? There's a ram in the thicket after the angel tells him to not slay his son. A ram in the thicket. And he takes that ram and sacrifices him instead of his son. And then he gives the place a name. He says, this place shall be called Yahweh Yireh. The Lord provides. He renames the top of that mountain. The Lord shall provide. But here's what's really cool, and I leave you with this. Abraham is saying more than he realizes. Abraham is, in fact, unbeknownst to himself, being a prophet in this moment when he calls this place on the Mount, this place the Lord shall provide. Because a thousand years later, a thousand years later, King Solomon, we're told in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, decides to build the house of the Lord. Where? We're told where the house of the Lord is built. On Mount Moriah, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built on top of Mount Moriah and there is the household, the temple of God built in this place. And another thousand years after that moment of the building of the temple in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, the prophecy will come true. An only son will walk up that mountain carrying the wood of his own sacrifice on his back because the Lord will be providing for himself the lamb. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He will be offered instead of we who should have died. He, in that moment, will be the proof, the absolute certainty that we can know to the core of our being that our God provides. For on that mount of the Lord, he was provided for us. We call it a different name today. We call it Calvary. Are you being tested? It's good news if you are. Look at Abraham's story God tests those he calls to grow them, to strengthen them. God continually tests those he calls because there's always more. There's always more Christ to be formed in us. And the test is always about our confidence, not in ourselves, nor in our circumstances, but our confidence in the living God. Will he provide? Will he be enough for this moment? And if you don't believe it, as you go through your week and you struggle with the test the Lord has put before you, as you will, and as I will, he brings you back into his house every week. And he puts on display for you and I who are being tested the certainty, the proof that we can trust the provision of God in all things. He brings us to his table and he reminds us of that sacrifice on the new Mount Moriah, Calvary. He is the ram caught in the thicket. He is the lamb the Lord provided. The body of Christ given for you, provided for you. The blood of Christ given for you, provided for you. In this is our confidence, in this is our hope. As Romans 8 says, what shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not with him give us all things? Are you being tested? It's a good thing to be tested by God so that we truly can say, like James, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter trials of various kinds for the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, produces nothing less than Christ-likeness. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.